0: Oh, he's
1: doing great. You know, he had a, a little bit of a rough patch going, but we've gotten past that everything's perfect. And his new book is phenomenal.
0: Did I hear right? You were telling me something about he, he put himself in a coma to get over his medical issues. And now he's on the other side and he's got this new book with 12 more rules for life. Yes.
1: Dr. Jordan Peterson has, so he has four, four major publications as long as, as well as a huge reading list on his website for all like the great texts and everything. He has maps of meaning his first book when he was an ultra professor, you know, spending like three hours on every sentence. He got to write the foreword to the new publication of the Gulag Archipelago. He was chosen. What? He for did that. that. He did that. Yeah,
0: Aww. I love Solzhenitsyn. Anybody listening, if you've not read Alexander Solzhenitsyn, like turn off our podcast, <laughs> go get a copy of the Gulag Archipelago, sit down, and be prepared to be super, super depressed about the reality of life under the Soviets. Or, or maybe
1: finish the podcast first, then go do that. That's that's because this idea. is an important episode. That's right. Keep
0: going. Keep going. What but, else? What else is this? book about.
1: Um right, so then he had 12 rules for life and then he also had more rules for life that he wanted to write about. So he decided to incorporate those into a ne- an addition sort of like a sequel to 12 rules for life called Beyond Order 12 More Rules for Life. The first 12 are an antidote to chaos. The next 12 are an antidote to excess order.
0: So help me with understanding the problem he's trying to address. Like where how do we have excess order in our lives? Is that is that really a problem?
1: He so he kind of He uses a really good analogy with um, yin and yang which is the eastern concept of chaos and order and all the things like the sun and moon masculine feminine that are associated with both sides of that and says that the human's responsibility is to keep one foot in chaos and one foot in order and walk the line between the two and it it relates in a ton of different contexts so he talks about excess order in a negative sense um, by using the example of the totalitarian state and he uses examples of you know, Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia to, and he makes the point that they're not chaotic regimes. Those are orderly regimes. But that excess of order ends up being tyrannical and it needs to be opposed by something and you need to be able to progress past the order. And the progressive element of society is what's chaos. It's is pushing forward into what's new and integrating it properly so you have a good balance between order and chaos
0: so we shouldn't be kind of stuck in the past and never changing there should be room for growth and change in society then
1: yes but that growth and change in society should be oriented properly through having a foot in what used to be order he actually uses the example of Pinocchio res- rescuing his father from the belly of the whale in the bottom of the ocean. He talks a lot about movies like that, actually. And he said that that sort of Pinocchio, it's symbolic of rescuing the older ideas of generations before you and integrating those into the present. And so while you're pushing forward, also holding on to what's important from the
0: past. See, that fascinates me about Jordan Peterson. I watched a clip, I think you sent it to me, about a lecture he did about Disney's Lion King. Right. And he did something similar. I don't remember what each thing represented, but he sort of interpreted the movie or read the movie as an allegory of these different ideas.
1: I was listening to that in the car this morning, actually. So Scar is the the totalitarian element of the state um and the monkey I haven't really seen this movie but the mon- I know don't You've
0: not seen The Lion King? Okay
1: wait I have but like the live version Didn't the I new Did I make one? you
0: watch this in philosophy class and no. you wrote No that was the year before
1: I watched the live version, but I didn't really, like, I've never seen the original. I don't know how you, anyway.
0: Okay, continue, right. continue. Scar is the totalitarian state. Oh, yeah. And um,
1: Mufasa is the re- like the representation of light. He's the king. He's the good, essentially. And he went into this whole thing about your kingdom is everything the light touches, and chaos is what's outside in the darkness, and you uh, venture into it in the maturing. Of- that's
0: one of the places where I think, obviously, I mean, Peterson is clearly a Jungian. I mean, Carl yes. Jung's... Uh, major insight, at least as I understand it, without having read any of Jung, but I got this from a professor of mine who is also a, a Jungian, uh, a guy named Dr. Ben Lockard. Uh, he at least claims that Jung's key insight was to kind of describe a set of archetypes that are always there. And it's the same sort of thing that a lot of stories, the kind of principles and the forces that are there. And Jung put names to them, and I like anima. Maybe. I'll, I'll take that as one. I assume that is one. I believe so. It's, okay. like, the, it's
1: like the feminine part of someone's persona that you project on it. That
0: may be a different thing,
1: but it's definitely Jungian.
0: Okay, sure. But like the, the trouble I always have with that kind of analysis, like I've watched The Lion King and I love The Lion King as a story. I love – I think Peterson's in, analysis is interesting. I'm just not sure any of it's actually there. It's there. I'll give you
1: the podcast to listen to on the way back. You'll listen to it. I don't so, think so. Okay.
0: Uh, well, tell us a bit more about what are some of uh, what are some of Peterson's rules?
1: Okay. His first rule in his first book of rules is stand up straight with your shoulders back. And he goes into this whole um, explanation of how – of lobsters and serotonin. which That's where the lobsters come from is that rule. He
0: talked about that in the debate we watched him do like right. years ago.
1: Exactly. And he, he talks about essentially like carrying yourself properly in the world and holding yourself up so that you face challenges – and he talks about how the psychoanalyst like Freud um, – or maybe he was a behavioralist. I think he was a psychoanalyst. I'm yeah, not Freud
0: sure. was the original psychoanalyst. Right.
1: Yeah. And he discovered that con- – that I think it was called confrontational therapy or it's exposure therapy is one of the best ways to get your clients to overcome their fears, whether it's like, like a tarantula or elevator or something. Is that you st- voluntary exposure, voluntary on their behalf, to what they're afraid of leads to – it is the remedy. It's the cure, essentially, for whatever they're afraid of. So if someone's afraid of elevators, you start by showing them pictures until they're bored of it. You take them to a building and have them look at it. And eventually they'll be going into it and looking up and facing it all while standing up straight, allowing the fear to sort of project upon Interesting. them. And that is the most effective way for someone to overcome their fears is voluntary exposure.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested in the book, I am confident it's available on Amazon and every bookstore. Uh, Ethan, one more time, who's the author? What's the title?
1: Dr. Jordan B. Peterson is the author, and his newest book is Beyond Order, and Oh, wait, sorry. Yes. Beyond Order,
0: 12 More Rules for Life. Excellent. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, what I am both happy and sad to say is the final episode of What's the Rez. My name is Josh Herring. My name is Ethan Delves. And for the last three years, we have been having a running conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. Uh, Over, if if any of you listening to this episode are part of our uh, few regular listeners, uh, you may have noticed that we have been increasingly sporadic this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2020-2021 as a school year has been uh, certainly unique. I'm not going to use that phrase unprecedented. I hate that phrase. These unprecedented times is just an ugly phrase at this point. But it's been a unique year. We'll, we'll share some of that uh, later on in the show about where we are. But uh, we have decided that uh, this podcast has lived a great life, and we are drawing it to a close with this episode.
1: It has drawn to a close. It has drawn to a close. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it, we are making it. We're the creators of this thing. It's not a self-existent no, thing.
1: But I think that it's coming to the end of its lifetime in a good and fulfilled way. It's an entity of its own.
0: Okay. Well, I think maybe, uh, maybe at least if Jordan Peterson can uh, allegorize everything under the sun, I'll just draw a uh, biblical quotation here where uh, uh, David was old and full of years and then he died. Our, our he, show. Why David? That's literally everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. But King David got that great line. He was old full of years and then he died. At the right time, he died. Our show, hopefully, I have no idea if our show will live forever on the internet. I think most things live forever yeah. on the internet, uh, but we're 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 no longer going to be making new shows. I figured we would kind of uh, start this show after talk with uh, talking about Jordan Peterson is rather appropriate because that is still our most listened to episode. We're at almost <laughs> 400 plays of that episode oh, by this point.
1: That was such a good debate. I was on the floor. Of my living room with like three notepads, notes scrawled everywhere from from both sides of that debate. It
0: was awesome. I tried to flow the debate, and that was a mistake. Well, you can't
1: flow a conversation. It was more of a conversation. it was a conversation. It was a presentation, was a presentation I mean, of communist axioms and then a conversation.
0: <laughs> That's about <laughs> it, it. I mean, Slavoj Žižek and Jordan Peterson, and uh, man, three hours. Uh, we had a we did about an hour and a half debrief of that round. I think, and that mm-hmm. was that was one of our really fun conversations along the way. Uh, so, I thought we would uh, have a moment of at least maybe a bit of nostalgia um, Ethan, take us way back. Uh, some of this is in our first episode, but why did we start this show?
1: We started this show because well, I wanted something to do to begin with like I wanted something i love i love media I still like media a lot i don't I don't think it's necessarily in like the social media aspect, but i like I like the idea of a massive forum open to communication from everywhere, like YouTube, Facebook. I love the idea of that and podcasts especially. Um clearly I like talking so it's better than us just writing articles and putting them on WordPress, not not against anything. I think we
0: did like three of those. We still have a what's the oh, res medium account. Right, right.
1: Yeah, no we did have and I wrote a couple medium articles. I think one of them was about Jordan Peterson. <laughs> oh. And um but I realized that a podcast would be the best way to you know Convey the goal of exposing more people to debate and creating a baseline educational platform And I think the idea for that sort of came out of like I've experienced a little bit of competition and debate And I've I've entered into an activity that has a lot to it and when you enter into something with a large commitment that has a lot to it, then you end up having a lot to say about it and you know the nooks and crannies of it and no one's ever going to know those things at, and without having experienced it. So if you can tell them like what's coming their way, what to be prepared for, it's like kind of just helping someone get ahead. I love that idea. And I was really excited about having been or having like being a part of an activity that has so many different facets to it. And you can just talk about all of them on separate episodes mm-hmm. and it's talking, not writing. And you just get to, you know, put it out there. So I think that was awesome.
0: I think that's huge. I mean, there's certainly something about debate that lends itself to giving back to the community. I mean, nobody gets good at this in any way without a lot of help from other people, whether that's competing against excellent debaters and kind of learning from how often you lose, they're helping you in a way. But I think, I know you have developed pretty early on a habit of actually meeting the people that you debated against and forming connections and chatting with people and getting like contact info. And, and especially
1: at Harvard, I still have so many people on my phone. I'm like, who are these people? Oh yeah. And <laughs> I put a little description like Harvard flow girl or something. And yep. In yep.
0: I mean there, there's something about – and then you get all of that and you're constantly – like every time you learn a new technique, there's sort of this idea of like how do I pass this on? How do I share this? There's a There was a legacy-building idea kind of at the root of this. Um, I remember there also being something about like – I know I wanted to create sort of lasting resources, the idea of making something that – as debate resolutions cycle through, we'd be like, "Oh yeah, what did we say a few years ago about gun rights and about immigration and about health care?" And we've we've actually gotten to the point I think where we've seen some topics come back around <laughs> um, this year. That, that's been that's definitely been true. Um, and there's 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 been a lot to this. It's been really kind of fun.
1: Yeah, it's I, been awesome. We, we've established like a good stake in this game that requires so many different types and levels of competence that it's just. Like and we've we 've put like our stake
0: in that, which is so cool and it awesome. really is uh, so uh, I, let me ask you this as kind of a different question, uh, and f- do feel free as always to interrogate the question itself i don 't mean to imply an answer by the question, but when you think about our podcast where we 've had uh, say, let's say, I don't actually know how many episodes we have, but we're at well over 100 episodes. We're between 100 and 200 episodes. We have three seasons, and uh, God alone knows how many people we've interviewed over these years. Yeah. Um, would you say, have, have we been successful in this venture?
1: Well, what was the goal? Because we because uh, we started, and we had reasons for starting. That doesn't mean we had a goal. and And we had lots of wants and desires, and I think that Through starting the podcast, we formulated those into more of a plan, and like you said, we've ended up with a decent following, lots of downloads, and a surprising amount of downloads really, interviewing tons of people that know so much more than we do. About
0: all kinds of random topics. I mean, remember the guy, uh, I don't remember his name... Aldi, Dr. Aldi, I think, right. we yeah. interviewed. I mean, he gave us all kinds of information about coal dust, transmission patterns, from yeah, of down-the-line yeah, so. pollution rates and that kind of thing. I had no idea that was a thing.
1: We learned, and, and to kind of go on the back end of this, we learned how to interview people properly, both of <laughs> us, I think, especially you, because you conducted most of the interviews, and we had dual interviews, too. Um, we learned... Like how to ask proper questions and how to extract information from someone in a conversational manner that's valuable. Mm -hmm. And it's not drive. It's it's a conversation that we're learning from each other through the conversations. We learned how to interview people. We learned how to use a media-oriented platform to put out information and actually have it reached by people and have them respond. And I think that's significant. So That's establish- true. We have
0: gotten at least – I think we've gotten like 10 different emails over the right. last couple of years with people asking specific questions or sharing stories about their tournament experiences. I remember there was one, uh, one mom from somewhere in the Midwest oh, who was the found best. us and wanted to know like, hey, can you help us connect with some NSDA debate group? And we at least, like, helped her connect. Like, I think I put a post out on the coaches page on Facebook and helped her with some who's nearby. She used
1: our episodes to help coach her daughter, who is the only member of the debate team. Which, I mean, that, that, that right there is That is amazing. the – like, that is – that <laughs> sole reason, even if we had done this for four years, what is, like – that's a success in and of itself. We learned how to network. I mean, you are a networking master now, like literally a networking mastermind. And we're we're not afraid to just go to an article, we find it interesting, and then put it in the Harvard professor's email and just be like, "Yo, what do, what were you mean by this?" Like, and, and we actually had a reason to email them so they would right, respond, right?
0: right? And so that, honestly, I mean, I discovered that uh, people are not not always, but most of the time, people are incredibly open to being interviewed and it's not – I sort of assume that, oh, this person as the leading expert in his field about Mm -hmm. this subject, he'd never actually respond to an email from a high school teacher. That's not true.
1: Yeah. I mean why do you think he put it out? He needs something. Like Articles are a form of networking and and Uh putting your stake in something as well and that's kind of what we've done with the podcast. So I mean we learned how to interview. We learned how to network. We've made it a tangible impact on the community by helping out – I mean um, a mom and her daughter and – the Midwest. Mm-hmm. We've had, um, what else have we had? We've had emails coming back of particular cases from mm-hmm. debaters who are actively writing their cases and asking for a take. And it, I mean, it doesn't mean our take isn't necessarily valuable, but it's a second opinion. And we can even put those questions on the show in case anyone else had the same question and
0: sort of have it received by a wider base of mm-hmm. people. So we've also got now a particularly, this isn't true of all of our episodes, but some episodes that are really good for describing debate techniques that are sort of evergreen. Because you know there are those things about debate that seem to come and go. Spreading is, is a fad. Running a pick is a fad. I'm Hopefully the fad of putting tricks in a really fast case will die and die like today. That would be awesome. But then there are those things, like do you remember the episode we did about uh, discussing whether or not you should be debate partners with your friend? Yeah. That episode's never gonna like be not topical. I mean, that's always a question that if people want to debate with their best friends. I still think it's a terrible idea. People should treat debate as a separate thing than their friendship. But mm. like we've got a we have that network or that really that bank of content that is really always gonna be helpful for helping new people get into this game.
1: And I think that some episodes that particularly fall into that category are the debate paradigm episodes. I mean, util is not changing the way people use it might evolve, but the principles are never changing. And in the deontology episode that, and the, one of my favorite was the interview with Dr. Vedder because I, when I did that first, I got to do it by myself and I had a cool studio on there that the person who gave me access to that, access to that studio definitely does not want to be named on this podcast. So I'm going to refrain from that because I got, a, they did not like that last time. And, um, we the first question I asked, he responded, and I was like, "Oh, thanks." Like I was, it felt so dumb. But then the rest of the interview went so smoothly, and he gave such great information about. We were talking about college that time, mm-hmm. yep. and yeah, and he even wrote an entire book on college, which I think it, I think it's so cool to have someone who made an entire book about a topic right next to you just you know speaking about it with you and that we're the platform that gets to deliver that to people
0: that's amazing and honestly i think the biggest thing i remember you decided this pretty early on and i was a bit skeptical but you were absolutely right about this that the key to us doing well with this was hitting that good conversational flow and I remember – I think you listened to a couple Joe Rogan episodes, mm-hmm. and I, I've still not made it through a whole Joe Rogan episode. I mean even the one with him and Elon Musk, I, I couldn't even – they, they're just so long. But the conversational nature has been really good, and I think that's the key to a lot of our interviewing success because figuring out how to ask that right question and how to ask the question that opens up the conversation rather than like closes it and sort of you – know, honestly, it's, I think it's that – Paired with judging a ton of congressional debate has given me a whole different sense of like the the life cycle of a conversation, like the beginning, the interaction, mm. the closing. The same paradigm, if you will, that's in congressional debate also tends to work for these kinds of episodes where sometimes we can just go and go and go for hours, it seems like. Other times you're like... Mm, I have mine, everything this person has to say, that's of value and we need to close this conversation immediately before before we get bored.
1: Yeah. It's the perfect, it's the perfect balance between an interview and a conversation because, or I guess like a formal interview is a better way of putting that and a casual conversation because casual conversations flow like ebb and flow in whatever direction they want to go to, but there's no distinct goal to having the conversation. Interviews have too many distinct goals, but Right now we're trying to extract valuable information in a conversational approach from someone who has that information. And I think we've learned to navigate that pretty pretty well.
0: I think so. It's, uh, I'm working on a paper right now for my uh, – it's the final exam for the class I'm taking this semester. But it's all about the, uh, the Socratic ver- view of the good life being conversational. And kind of what Plato is always looking for is how do we have a good conversation about this topic? And I feel like this show has, it leans in that direction. It's not so much that we invite people on to get the right answer. We invite people on our show where we get together to have a good conversation about a worthwhile topic.
1: And it's better when you get a sense of the resolution than when you get a factoid about the resolution. Because I that's one of the things I realized kind of early on in debate around, probably I would say freshman year, where... If you have an understanding or a sense of the resolution – it's a weird thing, but it's like you have an abstract grip on the resolution. It's much better than having you know, that, that solid like silver bullet argument as I like to call it or this statistic that, mm-hmm. that you think is impenetrable but really you could just weigh it differently and then it's not well, yours Yeah, because
0: it's really – the debate is really about the interpretation of the facts because like – I mean I'm sure you've seen some of this now that you've judged more this year. When you get to a, a good tournament, most people have the same set of facts. And it's really about what do you do with those facts. It's not about, like, um, that round, uh, what was his name, uh, Darvesh, that you went against mm-hmm. Darvesh at Coolidge, where he beat you because he pulled out a random statistic about uh, Scandinavian countries. That That's not normal. What's normal is that, like... We've all done our research. We know the facts, and now it's about who makes the best use of it because of that interpretation. Yeah, like that's the best kind of debate, and
1: that's a, that's a good skill too—is mm-hmm. how to how to give words significance based on your interpretation of them and how you convey that to people. What could be more valuable than that in life? Really, like this is this is a game that you know you play formally in high school and maybe even college, and mm-hmm. for some people, and you're going to take that with you and. And and learn, like, you're going to have people listening to your interpretation of words for the rest of your life. That is a significant thing, especially if you have something to say. So I think that's awesome.
0: I I completely agree. Well, let's think back. We started this thing uh, really a little bit more than two years ago. This was February of 2019. We're in our third year of podcasting. Uh, Think about kind of stage of life for me for this question. How How have you changed since February of 2019? Hmm.
1: I would say not solely in parts of the – on behalf of the podcast but definitely the podcast helped with this is that I can speak my own opinion confidently and I don't – like I'm able to say what I actually think even if I'm not sure that it's right or even – especially if I'm not sure that others are going to agree with it, others in like my vicinity too because – You'll, you'll always find that when you're around different people, you will say different things and you'll certainly act different ways because nobody's that consistent. And, and it's a weird thing to think about, like, should you, you know, it's like you're changing your formality around people or stuff like that. Are you really changing how genuine you are or you're just changing your approach to the conversation? It's a weird sort of thing to think about. But when it comes to things that you say – I mean, you you want those to always be relevant to what you actually think because that's the most valuable way to have a conversation because if you're wrong, you get them corrected and if you're right, then somebody else gets corrected and that adds value to the entire group and I think that, being on What's the Res and having positive and negative our, our reactions from listeners, positive and negative reactions from you as well when I'm attempting to defend something that you just, you're just like, no, let's just keep doing the negative. It's like, no, Bernie exists and he, he deserves to be mentioned on the podcast. And so does, you know, Medicare and Medicaid and, and Why
0: and, does Bernie have to exist? You know,
1: but you say this for anything that costs money. You're like, wait, can we just talk about the cost of it? Like, well, I mean, something's got to cost money, right? And some things have to be done with the money. Everything so costs money. Every, every sort of episode that we go, I'm less afraid to challenge you on something Mm -hmm. and that is going to I feel like that's particularly relevant to me going into college especially a college that may not align with the beliefs that I hold or the beliefs that I I hold right now and we're going to see how Mm -hmm. they evolve um I'm going to need to be primed to challenge people and I think that this is my platform for learning how to challenge so I
0: think that's that's a that's really good I'm man three years ago you were a sophomore Mm -hmm. when we started this thing you did not have a job Along the way, right. you right. added, uh, I mean, at, at one point, like, I mean, you started working like what, 10 hours a week at Starbucks, but you, you how much were you working at the peak?
1: Um, okay. So I started in holiday season and it was on track out. So I'd okay. work like, I would work a good 20 or a little bit more because it was on break and what else am I going to do? And during school with my manager, I would work about 10 to 15 hours a week, which is perfect. 12, 12.5. I remember was my ideal number. I loved that. It was maybe two or three days and it was perfect. Got a new manager. I'm up to 20 or 24 with school, and I uh, just put in my two weeks last night. Um, I'm coming into a new stage of life, going to college. I've got tons of exams and logistics to figure out as far as roommates go and sweetmates go in college, and placement exams for what class I'm going to be in and what classes I get to skip. So... Um, I think it was just like this episode, it was the end of a good era, and I Mm -hmm. love the feeling of having gone into something, learned the ropes, improved it, and left a mark and left. I think that is, I could have never asked for a better first job than Starbucks. It was truly, especially during COVID too, like wow, I get to tell people I worked retail during COVID, that's pretty cool. So best first job experience I ever could have wanted. I met so many different types of people I never would have met without having had that job. So...
0: A plus experience overall. Oh yeah, I'm thinking there's also. I mean, you went from uh, you were the you were in my elective the first year that it existed. We had a year where we were able to do some rec- some recording at times during the day because we did that tutorial that year, and then uh, this year you were in the elective for the first half of the year as a uh, as a virtual student, mm-hmm. and uh, then there, you've also been part of the club. And you've sort of shifted a little bit from full-on varsity competitor to less competition and more coaching and more kind of jumping in and able to volunteer as a judge where where possible. I know I had a – this has been like the strangest like 18 months in particular. I think when when we started this show, I was teaching full-time, like just teaching – and then I shifted to dean of students, and then we had some staffing changes, and I shifted into an interim administrator role, interim assistant administrator role. Like I think one of the reasons I bring all that up is I think we've, when we started this show, we both had the ability to carve out time for it, uh-huh. and it was easier to carve out time for it. But I think things have changed in this way, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think stage of life, we both shifted to where. It's really difficult now to carve out, like, we've kind of landed on Tuesday afternoons after middle school club on weeks when we're not both fried, we can record. Mm -hmm. Do you remember our uh, three episodes a week recording season? Yes.
1: Oh my goodness. (laughs) With Noah being there all the time
0: recording these things. Oh man. Oh my goodness. We, 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 I don't know how we kept that up and we didn't keep it up long, but that was, that was nuts. That was intense. Well, let's, let's think about debate a little bit. Uh, you mentioned some things already that I think speak to the value of debate, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious about this as um, I think you're, the, you're not the first senior who will graduate from our team, but I think you are the first one who has done this for six years. Um, Daniel Price might be somewhere close to that, but you're the first one who's done this for, for I think, for that long. Uh, what would you say, kind of a, a snapshot, what, what's the value of this game? Why should somebody do debate? The value of the game
1: is that it's a game. That's it's it's learning something and getting good at it. There's so many different facets of value in that concept that it doesn't. It really doesn't matter if it's debate, which is like, wow, the last episode of What's the Res it doesn't matter if you do debate.
0: But we really, <laughs> will be really excited to hear you say that. Because oh, she, she loves knows. She, No,
1: she knows this. She she oh. definitely already knows this, and if she even if she doesn't realize it, but being a part of a game, a complicated game. For sure, like debate where, man, you need to learn how to – it's a psychological thing where you need to learn how to have confidence speaking to other people and learning to compel them towards a conclusion. Learning how to represent one of two polar conclusions that are completely different. Uh, I mean learning research skills, learning how to improve those so they're faster and more effective, learning how to cut cards and use technology properly. There's an infinite amount of facets to this game. And getting good at all of them is pretty important to, some more important than others, but getting to the, you know, goal of being a more competent, well-read, more understanding of current events and past events to individual. So, then that's sort of particularly relevant to debate, but choosing a game and committing to it, even if you don't like it at first, even if you don't like it at first is the important part. Because, I mean, what do you like about debate at first? Like, I thought it was speech club. I, I gave some dumb speech about some dumb thing thinking it was a debate. And I mean, I certainly didn't like that first round where I was sweating and shaking, but that first victory where I told this guy he had new information in the final round, he was a junior and I'm a seventh grader. And Mrs. Herring told me she was watching that. I didn't know she was there. She said she she saw that. Yeah. I was shaking. I didn't even know what an iPad was. I had a notebook paper with my case on it and the judge just (laughs) smiled at me and circled my name and that was my first win. First round, first win. And that was the indication that I had done something right and that I had moved up in the... I'm going to sound Petersonian on this, but the hierarchy. Like, the competence hierarchy of debate. And that's just... That's a healthy and that's a good thing. Like, learning the game, getting good at it, and
0: inching your way up and never forgetting the people lower. I really like that, because in part, it's, it's the... I... I now... I am no athlete, kind of obviously. I think you you know this. I I don't do sports. I I ruin most sports metaphors that I try in class. It's pretty bad. Sometimes <laughs> you should have heard
1: Anderson's <laughs> reaction to your quantum physics metaphor that you're, with the tree in the forest. You were telling me he was there when, when he said that. Oh, that was hilarious. He you know how he loves. I mean, quantum.
0: that's pretty solidly like. It's an it's a loose analogy. Yeah. Like it's it's a loose understanding of quantum mechanics, but it, it, it holds. I mean, I borrowed that straight from a professor at Hillsdale. Like, which. Might be an appeal to authority, but I think it's a relevant appeal to authority. <laughs> anyway, the um, I was going somewhere. I lost my train of thought. Oops, ah, yeah. Ethan. Oh well. Uh, Just read the read the question again. I know. don't. I, the question is value with a question mark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, what value do you think the game has had for you as a
0: administrator oh, of the game? Um. Honestly, I think the. Oh, that's where I was going to go. The uh, uh, the thing I wanted to say a minute ago. Then I want to circle back to that question. Okay. The uh, the thing, I, the thing I think you landed on that was so well put, I think that would apply to any game that somebody yes. finds and sticks with. Any like, game. I mean, I think we have students who they feel similarly about basketball, mm-hmm. about soccer, about baseball. And even – I mean, uh, we're pretty decent at soccer and basketball. Our baseball team has always been our weakest athletics yeah. team. But, he, but guys stick with it for, for years, and they find something similar. Like I think there's – I disagreed with him at the time, but I've, I've come to really appreciate this. The uh, president of Hillsdale, a guy named Dr. Larry Arn, uh, he I once heard him say that he thinks the most important thing you can do as a student is to find a few things that you love and do them really, really well. Don't try to do everything under the sun. I think you've kind of hit on the value of finding something. You're like, this is my thing, and I'm going to do it really, really well. And there's all these side benefits, but it's not that they're truly unique, and they don't have to be unique. Absolutely even not. though uniqueness is a great argument in debate, but they, <laughs> they 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 have all these side benefits.
1: It's just it's just learning how to improve something and make it better. Because once you put yourself in the game and learn the rules and learn the ropes, I mean, then you're able to play it well. And eventually, when you get really good at games, you can even like this is sort of like the C.S. Lewis's idea of you know making the Dao better, but also not forgetting it. Like you get to improve the game and you get to – what are we doing here? We have a podcast where we critique things that we don't like about the game. Quite literally critique. Like <laughs> that would be one of well them, done. right? And yes. we, we as people who have been involved in the game and have ha- found successes, although minor, in the game mm-hmm. have some level of say as to how the game should be critiqued and improved. And that's significant is improving a game that improves people. I think that's a pretty cool thing to do and that's, that's not something that everybody gets to do. But it really can be anything, it could be baseball, basketball, but I, I really am starting to agree with find something and start doing it and figure out if you like it, and if you like it, go you know, 10x on that thing, learn to get good at it, and then improve it, and do it a service when you're finished.
0: You asked me the value I see in the game. I think one of the biggest values I see is uh, just what happens as students stick with it, Um, Because this year, as as you know, our our biggest growth has been in middle school debate. Mm -hmm. And we have some middle schoolers who I'm looking forward to seeing this happen with them next year. But we have some middle schoolers this year who have been doing this now for a couple years. And suddenly, there's this amazing transformation that happens. And you can't predict when it's going to happen. It's not a matter of, like, of right instruction. It's a matter of just sticking with it, where when you're a novice – You are consciously thinking of all these things and you realize that you're not good enough at all of the things and you constantly get all this negative feedback as a novice. But if you just stick with it and suddenly these things become intuitive and suddenly if you practice your piece enough or if if you practice your case enough, all of a sudden there's this transformation moment and suddenly the scores start going up, the wins start coming and it literally is a matter of hard work. So honestly, like the biggest value I've seen over the last six years of you doing this is literally watching our program move from this beginning point where we have everyone at novice stage to now we have students who are kind of at novice, intermediate, and varsity stages kind of along the way. And being able to see that progression, at the same time, I have loved – as frustrating as it is at times, I have loved – watching what happens when we go to these National Circuit competitions. And when I judge a National Circuit round, it forces me to elevate my perception of the game. Mm-hmm. Like I suddenly see the difference between a Little League game versus a Minor League game versus a Major League mm-hmm. game. And you can see that in kind of these – and. I still don't think – I don't think we will ever be that school that arrives at the Harvard tournament if people are like, oh, no, Thales is here. Like that will never be Oh, us. no,
1: Thales is here. <laughs>
0: but we will be that – like we'll be that school that at least like, OK, we, we can see how it works at this level. And there's a huge value in that I think.
1: Hmm. What school would you equate to that status now? Cape Fear? Absolutely. Oh, nobody. No, I, I mean, great. obviously
0: Durham Academy and Cary Academy, but well, even people they get scared of them. At, they at, are yeah. not. They're not nearly. I don't think they're nearly as competitive on the national circuit as like Stuyvesant, is Harvard, the one? Westlake. Yeah, like there's For, there's, there's a Jesuit. Oof, that's a whole other. There's there's a whole other stratum above yeah. what's in our region, but. I mean, I still think it's, it's of enormous – I love being able to kind of see the different layers and being able to see how different schools – that's another thing I've loved realizing. I used to think it was all about me as a coach shaping these kids and then it's like, what happens? I don't see it that way anymore. Uh, instead, I kind of see debate as this – and speech as this sort of massive – local, regional, and national collaborative effort where each coach is teaching his or her students to the best ability possible, and then we're all mutually providing feedback <laughs> on each other. So I can give you a bunch of advice, and then you go try it out, and you might get advice from four other coaches that suddenly helps us both see a better way for mm-hmm. the next tournament. I think that's amazing. It's a huge it's, – it's one of my favorite pictures of uh, – what some scholars call the American principle of association, where we don't depend on like the U S federal government to make an organization. We just all kind of make our own and debate is this picture of literally thousands of schools that are each practicing the same game at their level and then coming together and working together to all get better at
1: it. That's how a good game should be. And it's one massive Really well put together game. It's
0: awesome. Well, let's talk about a few of the different versions of the game. Because okay. over the last six years, you have had... I think for the last three years, you've done mostly LD. Mm-hmm. But you had a couple years where you did a Novice and then Varsity Public Forum. And you've done Coolidge throughout. throughout. So uh, talk to me about some of the differences between those styles. And do you actually have a favorite by the time you're done with high school debate? Okay.
1: I think... I've enjoyed LD the most, I think. And and maybe it's just because I've done it the most, because people will just enjoy things more as they do them more. Um, and I think part of it was because I enjoyed being solo. I like having control. It's which isn't always the best thing, but I guess that was what was an outlet for me to be able to have control over more things. Um, I liked philosophy, and it had a loose association with philosophy, but that's much looser now that I've done it more. <laughs> I yep. get to realize how much looser it I know. is. We,
0: when we started, I was like, we got to have like two and a half minutes of framework, and that's not a good idea. Yeah, or
1: a legitimate <laughs> philosophy, but it's, it's a, at least I get to say the word util, and at least I get right. to hear the word deontology occasionally. Um, Very few
0: people run Kant correctly, but anyway, that's a conversation for right. a previous episode. We've already had that conversation. Yeah,
1: we've, look at that, look at us. But um, so I've enjoyed LD the most. Um, I and, but I really did like my 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 PF times sort of in the mid earlier stages of my debate journey with having a partner, was where I started accelerating. Because I remember when me and Dallas won our first award, I think we got fourth place, I'm pretty sure.
0: Dogwood Novice. Yeah, Dogwood Novice, I think it was
1: fourth place. We were up on stage, and it was like sixth place, and it wasn't us. And fifth place, and it wasn't us. We got fourth, we were like, wow, we made it all the way up here. And that's when the growth started, like the curve started to point upwards in our direction, I feel like. Um, So I think that... And that LD is great for, it's just a standard, good type of debate. It'll force you to think on your feet. It'll force you to think on your feet by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I found that judges and coaches are very willing to give feedback. And it's it's just a good feel. So what
0: were you going to... Well, go? I was going to say, there's definitely, there was, I think it's interesting you said felt that acceleration there. Because there's definitely, there can be a dynamic where uh, when partners are rightly aligned, their strengths multiply with each other. Yeah, Because they kind of fill each other's weaknesses. And I remember it... At one point, I don't know if this was true all the way through, but at one point, uh, you were the smooth talker and Dallas was the researcher.
1: That's still how it is and we don't even debate together anymore. <laughs> Dallas is still the knowledgeable one. But, but it's odd. It's so odd because I've realized that I'm really not knowledgeable about real, mu- much of anything. But people will trust me because I can say things. And it's, they're not false things. They're just extrapolations of the true things that are just oh. like longer.
0: There's a, this is another conversation the other day, but there is a long-standing discussion in philosophical circles about the nature of knowledge. And the one line I think is relevant here, um, Richard Weaver talks about the ancient argument that knowledge is not knowledge of particulars. Knowledge mm. is un- the understanding of universals. Yep. And I think that's where I, that's where I would see you in Dallas differing in a lot of ways. Like Dallas does have an amazing grasp of particular details, but I think you do a better job of rising to the deductive principle And now when you pair those, you have an unassailable argument, but I, it, it's just – I think that's probably why people think that you are more knowledgeable than you would say you are because what one thing debate does do for everybody who sticks with it, you would get an amazing confidence and you sound like you can just drop this principle and you know you're right. Not because you really have done all that much research but because you do have a few facts you can support it with and it seems believable. But I, there's something there about the pr- difference in particular and universal.
1: Something that helps there is that – People don't want to listen to you if you don't look like a person who should be listened to. Or if you don't – and I think this is the worst word to describe this. But being approachable, it's like – I have friends that know a ton of stuff. But the funniest thing is that no one cares. It's like even when they're explaining it, it's the coolest thing. But they're – it's not attached to anything substantive. It's not drawn to a greater principle, which is why I always think my – the most effective way that I learn – is being able to categorize the particulars that I'm learning. And I think I got that from your lectures, mainly in history, because you would be talking about some event, and I'm like, well, what's the historical context of this? Is it Renaissance or Reformation? And I didn't know what those men at the time because we were doing medieval history. But like, wh- like what, what, like, what stream of continuity does this particular fit into and i think when people know that they learn a lot better because they're able to locate it in some context of something and i think that's where the persuasion element of debate comes in and the impact weighing and making it significant you have to make things significant in debate because what's on the paper is not significant but once you make it significant then it really starts to or take action in the judge's mind.
0: Well, that's another move that I think is a, – that's a, another big difference between novice and varsity and maybe between like good and great in varsity because you can get people who have that immediate grasp of the details and they can rattle off the facts. But when you get somebody who can then give those facts the principle and link them to the impact, that's a whole different level of discussion. I think it comes in – which is odd. I think it comes in four stages. The
1: first is you know the facts and you're able to give the facts. And at the lower levels, you start winning with that. And the particulars, like that was my first round where it's like, hey, you brought in new information. It's like, oops, great. I knew a, a particular. Then you start to develop a little bit of the confidence. You're accelerating a little bit. You have some of the smooth talking ability. And you can start to beat the people who know the actual facts. But you can just sound a little better and interpret them just a little bit better. And they get swayed in your direction because they start to sound like they don't know what they're talking about because they're scrambling for details. But they're not scrambling for details. They're right. They just don't look right, so they don't get voted for. Then those people, those smooth talkers, get completely overwhelmed by people who just know way too many facts. It's like the original facts people, but prime version i'm talking there's a lot of people at coolidge who are like this there's a lot of people at harvard who are like this who just know so many facts they weigh them but it's all numbers and it's all calculation and then there's the master level level number four i'm thinking of one person in particular is Kareem day at coolidge mm. i think he, and he, he was
0: uh, i wanted him to win so oh, much he gave he
1: clearly knew his facts he clearly knew his facts. He clearly has a good understanding of socialism, which was the topic, and I right. remember it was it because socialism
0: of, versus capitalism resolution. And I remember the
1: topic because of him, not because of anything else. He had a good understanding. He's debated tons of rounds on it already. He knew the facts, but he made it so deliverable, and he he just gave it to people so well. He sold it to people so well, and that's the master level, I think. So it really does feel like it comes in four stages. Like, I don't know. That's just kind of my conceptualization of that.
0: Oh, well, I mean, be careful because when you start categorizing things in those kind of layers, you're uh, one step closer to becoming a teacher someday. <laughs> that would be great. I think I would Good. like that. I think I would like that a lot. Well, well, we'll talk in four years when you're done at Chapel Hill and uh, see if you want to come back for a year of teaching. <laughs> Who here.
1: knows what I'm going to look like
0: when I'm done at Chapel Hill. <laughs> ah, we'll see. Hopefully taller. Maybe. That's possible. Okay, well, uh, we're, we're coming up probably on time here, uh, but let's, let's wrap this up with one last section, if you will. Um, I, I'm curious about your thoughts particularly about podcasting, because I know when, I, I distinctly remember your question, like you asked me, what can we do to get more people interested in debate? And you asked the question on the right day, because the day before, I had read a really interesting blog post by a professor named uh, Dwight Longnecker, and- How do you remember that? He's now a professor at Hillsdale, so I keep oh, seeing okay. his name. Anyway, uh, he had he had written this article on the Imaginative Conservative all about podcasting as this new oral form of communication. And it seemingly, I mean, this is way back in 2019, but at the time, he wrote about, like, podcasting is taking the world by storm. And I was like, you know what? Maybe we should give that a try. So, I mean, uh, it seems like today, it seems like everyone and his brother has a podcast. Yep. It's not... It wasn't unique when we started. It's much less unique now. Yeah, but we've now done this for three years. Uh, what What are your thoughts on the form of podcasting and this, this this as a form of communication? Is this an effective way to communicate a message?
1: Well, in the debate world, how else are you supposed to communicate a message besides talking? It's even better that there's two of us because that so what kind much of better. it would be so we would hit a lot more of that formal outline structure if it was one person. Yep. Because you you can get lost talking with yourself, and other people will certainly get lost. They'll certainly press that pause button and never download another episode of yours if it's just you. And a lot of, most podcasts I've listened to have more than one person. It's kind of rare. Unless it's – I to this one like guy that trades foreign exchange or something and it's just him but he has his outline and he talks about his techniques and it's interesting because it's cool. Right,
0: and you're listening to that for the information about foreign exchange of currency or whatever and like that's what you're there for. You're not there for the dialogical nature.
1: Yeah, but the dialogue is important because then you get the interpretation. You get an analysis of no what's going on of two people. So you get competing analyses of what's going on, especially – Oh, interesting. Especially as I learn to challenge your analysis of things more, which I wouldn't do at the beginning but now I'll do it. I'll do it <laughs> intentionally to too. Like that adds more value to it because you can hear the nuance. You can hear someone go off tangentially, but in a productive manner, it's like, okay, we need to, we need to explore this for a second and then come back to the main topic. And it's, there's humor to it. Like you, you can't have those humor based moments and a piece of writing or does anybody want to sit down and have the discipline to do a piece of writing this takes much less discipline there's much less of a barrier to entry you sit down and you talk with someone it's like you don't have a pencil there's no pad of paper there is a computer but you're certainly not typing on it for an hour trying to come up with something substantive going back editing it's like well we want to go back and edit something we say sorry that was a little edgy you know or you go back and cut it out so they don't have to see that right right <laughs> and it, it's just it's it's more natural and more human and I think that people take people, whether they they realize it or not, take to things that are more natural and more
0: human. I I think you're absolutely right. I mean it, it definitely fits better. It's a good conversation. I mean goodness, we could not have kept this up with like a weekly blog. And no. at least at the at the time I remember we looked for this, I mean there were there are now a few others. There were a few other debates and speech podcasts out there. Now, but there weren't when we started this, or at least not that we could find, there were blogs. So I remember part of what I was interested too is like, let's do something that's not currently being done. And there are several coaches who have written all kinds of stuff in blog form. But I, I think you're right about this being something that's more natural. It's more, it was easier for both of us to, to do.
1: You don't need to be oh, – you need to be res- a – not an expert, but respected in your area in order to have a blog. Because nobody will read your post. But you don't need to have as much rapport in order to have a podcast, which is interesting. Because and I think it's because there's two of us, so we compete, which makes our ideas stronger and more valid. And I think
0: it's We also try to I mean and we, we early on did try to we did some level of credential establishing in terms of like I w- we 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 decided our format early on. I'm coming at it as from a an adult's perspective. You're looking at the resolution from a competitor perspective. Which and but I mean that doesn't make either of us credentialed experts by No, any but means. people – but if we had a
1: blog, no one would read it. No. And it's I mean. not because people don't like reading. It's because this is this type of format, just like I think YouTube is the perfect example, in order – it enables anybody to be a creator and anybody – everybody should be a creator because everybody has, I think, something to say. Even if you're an expert in the field, it's, it's clearly this game is not all about information. It's clearly not all about information. It's about much more than that. It's about learning how to play a game. And everybody plays some type of game, so everybody should have something to say about it. And sure enough, I mean, YouTube has enabled everyday people to become creators and talk about things they find important. And surely enough, there's other people that find it important that develop a following. And I think that's very unique to podcasting or video with audio as well. But the closer to human, the
0: less you know like rationally legit you have to be that makes sense right (laughs) i think there's something to that Uh, you know uh uh, like youtubing and i assume instagramming and being any kind of social media influencer podcasting has this allure of if you get discovered and millions of people listen to you you could monetize and we tried that and i think we we managed to have like 10 family and friend members who subscribe to our premium what's the res episodes for a while. Pity subscriptions. Pity subscriptions. That's all we those, ever got.
1: Those medium <laughs> posts. I was like, hey, do you want to read something I wrote, mom? And then you read it. And uh, it was like, oh, pay me
0: for it. Yeah, that did not work. This was not our road to riches, but that's okay. Um, any, do, do any problems come to mind? Like anything, if you would, uh, if anybody listening is thinking about starting their own podcast, are there any problems to avoid you would suggest?
1: Um, don't invest in a super good microphone cause you don't need it. Buy a fee microphone, literally just buy the fee fine. Um, should
0: really like, they should send us money cause we've used their stuff and I think we've endorsed them on at least five episodes. Times.
1: Yeah. Um, make sure your laptop has a proper adapter for it. Super simple stuff. Um,
0: And GarageBand is honestly enough. If you want to be fancy, you could use Logic Pro X or Audacity if you are good with it. But GarageBand that comes preloaded on every Mac is sufficient to do basic editing.
1: Have a website that your podcast is based out of and update it because that makes it timeless. Like, and and you could just send people the link to the website. They have links to those, however valuable medium articles that I wrote, (laughs) our contact information. And... All of the episodes in a bank. It's it's about creating that named, labeled reservoir. If, and if you have, if you get a website and attribute a domain name to it, I learned this the frustrating way it will take like three days to show up on the internet and they're not scamming you it actually will work and it still does work www.whatstheres.com for any who are interested but it does take a little while to show up so get yourself in a, like a 20 30 dollar microphone works fine put it into a laptop plug it in learn how to put a noise gate on there so you don't sound like the terminator and which i've never seen or read if it's a book i don't know but why are you
0: looking at me like that Every geek listening to our show now hates you. That's
1: okay. It's the last episode. You're fine.
0: The Terminator is not a book. It is a show as a spinoff. It's the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but it's a string of very famous movies. I have no clue what almost any of that meant except the last three words. Okay, but
1: anyways, yeah. So it's it's all very technical any stuff. Any other easy tar to figure heels out
0: there? Please help Ethan cover his necessary movie education. Oh next yeah, year. yeah, that's gonna have to be a goal. But she'll Patel, I'm I'm looking at you. You need Shil to doesn't watch that many movies. Ah, uh, he'll he'll Shield knows what the Terminators mo- Terminator move. She'll has a are. double major,
1: a minor, and two internships right now, and he he trades in his free time.
0: And he also, I'll wager a uh spicy chicken chick-fil-a sandwich and if she doesn't want that he can name some equal I want it. i'll take that i'll wager a spicy chicken chick-fil-a sandwich that Shield has watched at least one terminator movie and would get the reference
1: okay i agree he probably has but yeah so anyway. all the all the and en- the barriers to entry with podcasting are lower compared to blogging and anything else it's very easy to figure out and thank goodness in the modern age it's super cheap it's like what thirty bucks for the microphone? Most people have a computer.
0: I think we pay uh, we pay eighty dollars a year, no, hundred and eight dollars a year for Podbean to actually host our yes, sound files. Get a
1: hosting website. Podbean's good. There's one called Blueberry. I think that's also there's a
0: bunch of them. But these files are big, and they will eventually. Oh, one other thing: if uh, if anyone listening is ever recording on GarageBand. If you have – if you run out of space on your computer to record the original file, um, GarageBand will just stop recording and you will – then next time you look at it, you're like, man, I had the perfect episode. Only 15 to 45 minutes will have recorded. It will just have stopped when it runs out of room. So make sure to clear those files before you record a really good episode. Just put them on
1: Podbean. Let the cloud have it. That's it. So yeah, get get Podbean or get um, Anchor I think is a super popular one too. Mm -hmm. Uh, have a Google site super easy to make host your episodes put the they have all of the HTML embedding code that you need built into Podbean for you And, but just have the website to send them one link where they can find anything that they need and it's easy to remember and they can get back to it.
0: That website makes it really easy to convince people that you are a legit show because when you send emails asking, hey, would you come on my show? It's really helpful to be able to send links to similar styles of episodes. So when I ask somebody to come on an interview show, I'll send them one or two similar interviews of of equally ranked people. So like if I'm emailing a university professor, I don't send them like you interviewing Patrick. Yeah. I, I send them an episode oh, of like I met
1: Patrick too through the podcast. That's another that's thing. That's true. We
0: met uh Patrick the Nihilist. Patrick the Nihilist. We're still friends. Good. Good. <sighs> I, 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 hopefully someday if I if ever get over, if COVID's ever over and we can travel again, maybe someday we can all go to England and be like, knock on his door and be like, Patrick, we're here. You and he'll be like, that. who are you? <laughs> he would, I mean, that would be, if I
1: ever make it, I will make it to England because I have relatives there I've never met, but I'm totally visiting Patrick if I go to oh.
0: England. Now any, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take this next one first, but I think there's, there's a ton of benefits to podcasting I've noticed. Uh, the ha- be- the biggest one, I've, I've seen two that I'll mention. Uh, first is uh, I've gotten a lot better at projecting my voice because the microphone does not pick up everything. You have to like pitch your voice in a certain way and kind of aim at the mic. I've gotten really good at projecting, which honestly made teaching through a mask easier. Mm. So a surprise COVID benefit. But the other thing, being in the habit of just communicating orally regularly has been really good i mean it, it and it it honestly helps me kind of keep in touch like all right how do I make my class how do I make my classroom more conversational and less like lecture heavy and so that's that's kind of always in the back of my mind through because we do this all the time. This has taught us so many things like it's it's even difficult to describe. we've learned like
1: too much for this podcast. It's awesome. Well, we
0: figured out how to prep for an interview pretty quickly. Like we can, both of us, I think, can like we can Google the person, find three or four articles they've written, find their credentials, and figure out. We've also, I've also kind of gotten a lot better at figuring out how much time will a question take. And to do a forty-five minute podcast, you really only need about five or six questions. If let them the right go. Kind of questions. Yeah, they're an yeah. expert. Let them be
1: an expert. You're not the expert, right. so you can't come up with the good questions. They know what the questions are, and they'll answer them without even having an explicit question stated.
0: Yeah, we're just sort of – in those moments, we're sort of the guide, and no one's tuning in to listen to our opinions. They want no. to hear what the famous person has to say. Exactly. So tons of benefits to podcasting. Um, I, I think it's fair to say we both learned a lot and enjoyed this whole project. Uh, it's, been, it's been well worth our time putting, putting out What's the Res.
1: Agreed. Definitely. Well worth the time. Learned I learned so much.
0: All right, well, Ethan, I'm thoroughly glad you uh, asked if we could find a way to get more people interested in debate. several years ago, this has been really fun. Uh, if people want to get in touch with us and leave us any final feedback, or uh, send us any, uh, I don't know if there are tear emojis, but we'll we'll take them. Or any I'll take some uh, tear emojis. <laughs> any any uh, sad nostalgic things. Oh no, my favorite podcast in the world is ending. How can people let us know that they are tear bro- or they are uh, ha- they're very sad that we're we're closing out the show.
1: If y'all want to get in touch with us for the last episode one last time, send us some emojis. You can do so at whatstheres at gmail.com, because that email will still be active, w-h-a-t-s-t-h-e-r-e-s at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstheres underscore, or go to our website, www.whatstheres.com, which will always have the episodes there. And until, well...
0: Not until next time, but for uh, the rest of your lives, dear listeners.
1: <laughs> for the rest of your lives, work hard, speak well, and sing the truth.